Hello, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. My name is Nick Sararis, and today we continue our series of playoff preview episodes. I hope everyone enjoyed yesterday's episode with Greg Young from Japers Rink. Really good discussion about the Washington Capitals and their prospective matchup against the Boston Bruins. Today's episode of the show will be covering the Winnipeg Jets. One of my Twitter moots, one of my Twitter mutuals stopped by for a deep discussion about the stagnation that is plaguing a pretty talented Jets team that a lot of people weren't that high on coming into this season, but has more than enough talent to be competitive, especially in a North division that leaves a lot to be desired from a high-end talent standpoint. Uh, Most people figure the Leafs are going to get a cakewalk to the Final Four. The Leafs are looking at a first-round matchup against a Montreal team with that is probably not going to have Brendan Gallagher. Excuse me, Brendan Gallagher. Got to be right. Got the man's name right. The Jets are going to play the Oilers in round one. But this is a little bit more about the state of the Jets because Cecilia and I and most people think Edmonton, who went 7-2 and two against the Jets in the regular season, is going to have a relatively easy time getting past them and setting up the Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid round two playoff series the Toronto media is lusting for and trying to will into existence. But before I get to the conversation with Cecilia, I do have to remind everyone to help grow the show. We're getting numbers. Engagement is nice. We're seeing numbers tick up, more listens. Every single listener is appreciated. If you do have the time, whatever podcasting platform you're using, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, please, please, please throw a follow button. If you're on Apple Podcasts, hit the little subscribe button, go to the episodes page, scroll all the way down to the bottom. There's going to be four, excuse me, five purple stars. You're going to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a button that says write a review with purple letters. Hit that. Leave me a couple words of encouragement. It would mean a lot. Really do appreciate it. Lots of content coming, both written, some video stuff I'm working on, a blog, or probably two or three blogs will go up on Gotham SN at some point this week. We're on uh, David Quinn Firewatch, people. Uh, Be alert. Be out there. Content's coming. I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Cecilia. Think about it. It really should be a tie game right now. Here's Stastny to Wheeler. Side of the net. Score! And as promised, to discuss the Winnipeg Jets, one of my hockey Twitter moots, someone who helped bump one of my tweets that was kind of innocuous, that I was just like, I thought the 2018 Jets were really good two, three years ago. How are you doing, Cecilia? I'm doing excellent. How are you? We're very close to the hockey playoffs. I can't complain. It's a good time of year. It's, it's a stressful time of year, but good. That's fair, yeah. Your team is actually going to make the playoffs. My team is busy being a soap opera, so I've got that going for me at least. A little less real-world stress, a little more is my team about to make me feel like I wasted the last four years of my life. But the Rangers drama is very entertaining. It is. It entirely is. Very much soap opera. Very soap opera. So we're going to start with what I start with anybody the first time I have them on the show. Just a little bit understanding 
your relationship with sports, that kind of thing. So what was your entry point to sports? What are your early memories? Who helped you get into them? Or was this kind of a you out on your own kind of thing? Well, both of my parents are sports fans. My dad loves hockey. My mom loves all sports. And, you know, growing up, we would go to Flames games because we lived in Calgary for a while. And, you know, I was always like a casual enjoyer. Like whenever the Jets were in the playoffs, I would watch. But I didn't really get super into hockey until my best friend did mm-hmm. in the 11th grade. And at first I was like, no, this is stupid. I'm not into it. But then one day I was, I, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to watch a hockey game and see how it goes. And I just fell down the rabbit hole. What do you remember about falling down that rabbit hole? What was your immersion process like? Were you going down the YouTube rabbit hole, reading people's Wikipedias? Like, what was your what was your process of like, all right, I want to take this seriously. I want this to be part of who I am. How did you go about doing that? I mean, I was already on Twitter. This is actually <laughs> super embarrassing, and not a lot of people know this about me, but I used to be a K-pop fan. I keep finding that everybody who's on hockey Twitter was either a K-pop stan, a One Direction stan, a Five Seconds of Summer stan. There there are underlying themes here that haven't been explored yet. I'd like someone to write a sociology paper associating what bands have to do with hockey players. I really would. (laughs) Well, yeah. So I was I was a K-pop stan. That's this is I'm speaking my truth. But um it was pretty easy to kind of transition from K-pop Twitter to hockey Twitter. And that's where I, you know, I was exposed to a lot of like hockey terms, advanced stats, which I still don't really understand. And, you know, also just watching a lot of YouTube videos of old games and all that stuff, you know. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So a pretty, a relatively normal entry point. What would you say was the moment where it's like, God damn, I care way too much about this stupid sport. I would have to say the 2020 World Junior Championship. Okay, that's interesting that you went Team Canada as opposed to the Jets. Please elaborate. Well, we always, my dad and I always watched the World Junior Championships together. And I Mm -hmm. didn't really care about it that much. I thought it was fun. But when they won gold last year, I just, I was sitting in a sports bar with my mom and my brother during the game because we were just getting off a flight and I remember like when they won they were handing out the medals um like singing the national anthem like I found myself crying in a bar because of a hockey team and I just thought to myself like is this what we're doing now is this happening World juniors are special like that, though. Like every single year you get to fall in love with new guys who are like, yeah, I'm probably never going to see you play hockey ever again. Or if I do, you're probably going to be a reason my team loses a hockey game. So it's weird like that. Like I think about some of the American teams that have had pretty good runs in the world juniors. The one year they beat Canada in the shootout with Troy Terry, who's now just languishing away. Like I thought Troy Terry was going to be actually pretty good when he got to the NHL. And I mean, Troy Terry is pretty good. He, he just doesn't get to good. play. And this is a hill I'm willing to die on. Yeah, you do watch a lot of the Ducks. You do subject yourself to Trevor Zegris and Drysdale and Troy Terry. The poor, the poor Ducks, man. They're so bad. But, you know, I don't have any expectations for them, so they can't disappoint me. That's a good way to look at it. That's a positive way to look at it. Very... um. Going into hockey with low expectations is a good way to not get hurt because hockey, when you expect things, has a really bad habit of making shit hurt. Like, I can't even – 
the sheer volume of hours in my life I've spent watching the Rangers just to be like, well, this isn't going to end well, no matter what. I mean, the team's been around 95 years. They have four cups. It's probably not good odds for me this year. It's probably just not going to happen. My biggest mistake was getting too optimistic about the Jets this season. Okay, that's a really good way to segue into talking about the present day Jets, because that's the main reason I wanted to have you on, because we're getting to the playoffs. Canada playoffs aren't starting till Wednesday of next week, because there are still games that don't have any meaning between the Flames and the Canucks that need to be played for television rights reasons. But I'm trying to make my way through all of the teams as many as I can. And the Jets are one of the teams I've always had a soft spot for. There's a number of guys who've come through there. I've always been a Shifley guy. I, I was a I was a line a truther. I saw line a score. I saw line a have a hat trick in like 40 minutes of game time on like pretty good, but not prime one quiz. And I was like, yeah, this guy is going to be like Brett Hall good. And it just never really clicked for him. And the Jets have always been one of those teams where you like all of the pieces. But for whatever reason, when they get to the playoffs, they just don't have any luck. And that's such a big part of winning in the hockey playoffs is you need that luck because hockey is such a random sport because of the way goalie is played. I love Patrick Line, and this is another hill that I'm willing to die on. I think that with the right guys, he can score five goals in one game. Like he has that talent, but when John Tortorella sticks on the fourth line of one of the worst teams, in the National Hockey League, well, one of the worst this year, it's just not going to work out. And I don't know yeah. why they're expecting that to work out. Hey, man, I, I, that is the entire foundation of this show is I do not get paid for my hockey expertise. But I still feel like sometimes me sitting in my $50 seat knows a little bit better than the coach who's getting paid $5 million to make decisions. Because it's, what do you expect Patrick Laine to do playing 11 minutes a night with two checking line forwards? What what are you hoping to accomplish? You know, treating someone like, you know, like a vindictive substitute teacher isn't going to get you very far. You know, sending everyone to detention and then there's three kids left in the room when you're a sub, you're not accomplishing anything. If anything, you're making everyone's life more difficult. So I definitely understand your frustration with Line A. He's a guy I always thought was going to be pretty good. He's still young. He's only 24, 25. There's time for him to figure it out at the NHL level. Someone with his pedigree who went as high as he did in the draft will always hang around. I mean, Alex Galchenyuk's on like his ninth team in five years and someone finally took a chance on him and you know it's worked out for the most part in toronto circling back around to the present day jets we're talking about the team that's let me check my notes here one and nine in their last 10 games that's that's not great it's not it's not great it's really bad (laughs) it's really bad and i just find myself like i just turn off the game before the third period starts (laughs) Because I think I have school tomorrow and I'm staying up late to watch this. What is Mm. wrong with me? So walk me through it a little bit, what this season has been like for you with like the Canada's only division, the runs the Jets have gone through where they went through that really slow, they kind of had a slow start and had the really good run in the middle of the season where they got themselves back into the playoff mix after it looked like they might miss out at one point. And now they're back in a lull. So walk me through what the season's been like for you as a fan and some of the undercurrents that are happening with guys on the team, decisions, that kind of thing. I don't know if you are familiar with that gif of Paul Maurice waving. Yes. 
that's not a word. That's not a sentence. But if I had to sum up the season, that's how I would do it. <laughs> because basically, I blame all of my problems on Paul Maurice. I do. There's a lot of Jet fans I know who blame a lot of the problems on Paul Maurice, actually. Like, more than... I know, like, five Jet fans, and all five of them blame Paul Maurice for their problems. I just think that as long as he is the coach of the Winnipeg Jets, they are not going anywhere. Okay, so in terms of that, is it uh, he just doesn't have a great feel for the game? Is it the way he uses certain players? What is it about him that you feel like is holding their ceiling back? I think that his absolute refusal to split up Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, and Blake Wheeler is just really frustrating because A, they suck. They're so bad defensively. <laughs> they all have the worst ratings on the team. Yeah. And he's just so stubborn. Yeah. He's so stubborn. Like if somebody, if one of the vets, if somebody who's like 35 allows like seven goals to happen, it's fine and they're back on the ice for the next game. But if Vili Hainala, the 20-year-old defenseman and probably one of their best pro- prospects makes one small error he is banished to the press the press box for all of eternity i mean Vili hanola got in like what one game in a month something like that where he just didn't get to play at all because one i mean it's not like the jets are exactly like the 2017 predators where you have like six defensemen who can be on the first pair the jets need help on defense i would say that's probably the weakest point on the team is the fact you know i mean i like josh morrissey i like neil pionk but other than those two there's not a ton here inspiring confidence dylan demello has been decent this year i was just looking on some of the underlying numbers he's been pretty decent defensively but i mean stanley forborg Jordy Ben, is that really all we got, Winnipeg, when you have Vili Hanola sitting here? I just, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, Jordy Ben, I just don't, I don't understand. I, I genuinely don't understand. And I'm not saying that Vili is the best hockey player of all time. I mean, in my heart he is, but realistically that's just not true. Um, but if, if Jordy Ben is bad and Vili is still learning why are you playing why aren't you playing Vili why why isn't he playing why isn't he learning especially since we're obviously not going anywhere this year because I firmly believe that the Jets are going to get swept by the Edmonton Oilers but I was just talking about this I recorded another podcast earlier in the day today and we were talking about it and the reason the Jets are kind of in this purgatory right now is they're one of those teams that feels like their goalie is so good, they don't have to worry about anything else because if Connor gets right for six weeks, we can win a cup with him. I mean, the Rangers did it for 10 years. If Lundqvist gets hot, we think we can win a cup with this group of guys. We don't need anything else. Uh, you see some of the other teams that are attempting to do that. Uh, Tampa Bay is a little bit different because the rest of their team is as good as their goalie. But for the most part, you look at a team like Winnipeg and Tree Living doesn't make the moves the over-aggressive moves because he feels like we have a guy who's good enough our top six is good enough we got enough guys in our bottom six who are not terrible on paper the Jets should be a lot better than they are it was the long-winded way of saying what I was just saying there the other thing that really bothers me is as long as Connor Hellebuck keeps holding up this team and carrying them on his back nothing's going to change exactly 
you get stuck in that middle ground where you're not good enough to win a cup and you're not bad enough to draft in the top five and you're not making any real progress towards your ultimate goal. You want to win that cup. I mean, it's really easy to get stuck in that Minnesota wild. I would say the St. Louis blues, but they actually did finally win a cup after losing in the first and second round forever. That's one of those things that's really hard to overcome as a hockey team is if you're stuck in that middle, it's impossible to get better because you only get those elite guys drafting in the top five or trading for one. And when you're a smaller market like Winnipeg, guys aren't going to be willing to be traded there. I mean, I'm not entirely shocked Pierre-Luc Dubois was willing to go back there, but a tiny bit that a guy who obviously is going to have a big profile, the possibility of dictating where he goes in a trade to some degree, that he was willing to go there because, you know, stars have been fleeing Winnipeg, and that's been part of their problem when you talk about Truba, you talk about Tyler Myers, guys who wanted to go to other places, and that's part of the story, and putting together a team in a market like Winnipeg isn't easy, and that's got to be part of the story that does get missed to some degree. It's it's just, you know, I think about the 2018 Winnipeg Jets, that cup run, and I just think of the guys that we've lost. <laughs> Dustin Bufflin, Toby yeah, Ekstrom... We didn't even, I didn't even get to talk about that, you know, the whole leadership brain drain of, you know, our most iconic, our guy who's been here since we were the Thrashers, he's gone now, and what that does to the room, the other guys on the team, yeah, losing a Dustin Bufflin is huge for the morale of a team, let alone the hockey. I do have concerns about the team's leadership. Okay. I I just, I'm a little bit worried that Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, Josh are just I'm trying to think of a good way to say this I think they're just kind of stale okay that makes sense though because they've been together for a while now so that's part of this I mean we see it with coaches all the time where someone's in a job four or five years and you have one or two good cracks at it and it doesn't work and the guys on the team need different voices in the room so it's not entirely surprising that individuals on the team kind of get tired of each other after a while that's you know they're human they're people and, you know, when in Winnipeg, when you not everybody is a diehard Winnipeg Jets fan, but everybody cares about the Jets, like the city loves the Jets so much, like every game is sold out, whiteout parties have like thousands and thousands of people crowding downtown. But when people who don't know a whole lot about the Jets think about the Jets, they think about Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, Josh Morrissey, like those are the three popular like most popular Jets aside from Connor Hellebuck, obviously, but he's never done anything wrong in his life. So this isn't about him. Um, and that's part of the whole, you know, it's a smaller market and they're trying to use those popular players. And that's why we see them so much. And I just want to see something different. I want to see Nikolai Ehlers getting yeah. the spotlight because he is ever since he was injured. <laughs> The team has sucked. They haven't been able yes. to generate any good offense because he is like the second coming of Jesus Christ as a hockey player. Ehlers is one of the most underrated players in the entire league. I know it was very popular for national hockey writers to say that Barkov was the most underrated player for a few years there, but Ehlers was even more under the radar because 
he didn't even have like the counting stats that a Barkov did. What makes Ehlers so good is how good he is in transition where he can carry the puck into the offensive zone and he draws defenders to him and he creates space for everybody else out on the ice. And like you said, it's no surprise they've been struggling. He's their best forward. I, like I like Shifley a lot. I like Kyle Connor a lot, but no Ehlers. They have no chance against the Oilers. Zero chance against the they Oilers. They have absolutely that. zero chance. Yeah. And without Ehlers carrying the puck, it's just dump and chase. And it's absolutely infuriating to watch. No, this is something me and my hockey analytics nerds friends have been talking about for a while now because the Jets are playing this very interesting strategy where they basically don't let their defensemen do anything in the offensive zone. They just stand at the point. If they get the puck, they keep it moving. And we've all come to the similar conclusion that Basically, Paul Maurice doesn't trust any of them. He doesn't want any of them coming too far down because you don't want to give up the two-on-one going back the other way. So I would rather play three-on-five in the offensive zone every single time and try and win every game two-to-one with Connor Hellebuck standing on his head than risk being in a track meet. And to some degree, I get that. I'd rather try and lose close than, you know, roll the dice and, you know, we lose a bunch of games four-to-two because, you know, we just have no defensemen who are good in transition i understand the strategy but from a fan's perspective i know it's got to be driving you nuts because you're emotionally staked in it i just like you know i like watching hockey and i'll watch the jets and it's like this isn't very visually appealing this isn't very fun to watch i just i think that the the jets defense they should start wearing orange jerseys because they're like they're like traffic cones yeah they just stand there yeah, it's and very I would like to see. I would like to see them moving around. I want to see them like joining the rush. I, it's just, it hurts. Interesting thing that you mentioned that. So, on EP Ringside, I forget who wrote it. Someone did like a two thousand word breakdown on Neil Pionk and how he's changed since he went from the Rangers to Winnipeg. And the thing I found really interesting was when he was with the Rangers. He was really good in transition because he's a fast straight line skater. He's got pretty good vision. He's inclined to spin a Rama around guys because he's got good edge work, that kind of thing. In Winnipeg, they have him playing in a completely different style because Winnipeg is so structured. Everything they do is you have the puck here. It needs to go to here so it can go to here, and we can get a scoring chance out of that. And it's an entirely different way of playing from what he was doing in New York, where the Rangers were just willing to trade chances because they knew they weren't a good hockey team. So they said, all right, if we can win games five to four, that's fine with us. And they said, all right, Neil, just stretch past it, stretch past it. And it's completely different in Winnipeg, where they play such a rigid style, where as soon as you fall out of that line of that style, you're going to sit the bench for a while. Like you said about Villy, who probably made a faux pas somewhere in there. And Paul, Paul Maurice said, all right, I can't have it out there. We can't roll that risk. Connor has to work hard enough in that. I can't have this rookie out there making his life even more difficult. So from a coach perspective, I get it. From like an analytics and a fan perspective, I want to rip my hair out. So I definitely understand. Yeah. And I just think that in a lot of ways, Paul Maurice doesn't understand that NHL players play in the NHL because they're good at hockey. So maybe once in a while, he should let them think because they know how to play hockey. Mm. And I'm not saying that he should just let them run wild whenever they want, but let some of these guys use their hockey sense and see what happens. 
Yeah. It's one of those things where you can clearly see the uh, the delineation between the newer school coaches who are more positive reinforcement. They want to build guys up and help them be more confident in their abilities where like the Leafs claimed Galchenyuk off of waivers and then they sat him for a month. They were like, all right, we want you to get here. We want you to be comfortable. We want you to know what we expect of you. And we're not going to ask you to do too much. And it's the polar opposite of what some of the more old school coaches and organizations have done, where they immediately throw a kid to the fire. He doesn't play well. All right, you you didn't play well. You got to sit. And it makes the process a lot more frustrating because, like you said, these guys have innate hockey sense. They've been the best hockey player on their team most of their life, probably until they were 17, 18 years old. They were always the best player on their team. And to see a coach mold away what made them get to that point is infuriating. It's part of the problem in the coaches who were lingering around from, I won't say yesteryear, but that kind of thing where what might've worked 10 years ago doesn't work anymore. And Paul Maurice had a good run and Brad Tree Living has had a good run as general manager, but I think that staleness you've described is a very real thing that teams go through because teams are living, breathing things. Tree Living, Kevin Sheveldayoff is the GM. Sheveldayoff, yeah, yeah. Tree yeah. Living is Calgary, yeah. I get my GMs mixed up, especially also, the ones you know with what? all the They're syllables. All the same guy. That's They're not true. Basically, all the, the same guy. That's not true. Kyle Dubas is a little different. Kyle Dubas is fun, and I hate him because he's fun. Yeah, I, I'm like one of those watching, people. Watching the Leafs make all those crazy moves at the trade deadline, I was yeah. just, I just, it made me so mad because it's like, wow, I wish my team was doing something. Yeah, if only, if only my team is doing. I mean, too we many got things. Jordy I take Ben. It back. Oh yeah, you got an eighth defenseman who's playing for reasons we don't know. Okay, so moving on along here, we're talking about the team this year. I know there's been a lot made of Kyle Connor kind of, I don't want to say putting it together because he's always been a pretty good player, but he's scoring a little bit more than usual. The regular hockey people are kind of excited about it. But like you said, this is coming at the cost of bad defense because that first line has some of the worst underlying numbers of any line in the league. And I don't want to tie that all to just Blake Wheeler kind of being old at this point, but do you think that's actually kind of the problem is just like Wheeler's not as good as he used to be and no one really I wants to acknowledge that? That's definitely part of the problem, but Wheeler and Maurice are besties. Yes. So he's going to be the first line right wing until he dies. <laughs> no one is ever going to replace him. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but... Maurice is going to keep him there as long as he possibly can. And, you know, the thing with Kyle Connor is that he is atrocious defensively. I love him so much. I think he's great, but he's just not a defensive forward. And so maybe putting him on a line with other horrible defensive forwards isn't a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, it would make sense to balance that out where you would want to put him with someone a little more defensively inclined to protect him and make him not just be chasing the puck because that the problem that first line has a lot of the time when they get stuck in their own zone is none of those guys can win a puck off of someone else because none of them are... I mean, Blake Wheeler was a physical forward once upon a time, but he's not fast enough to catch the puck anymore. So a lot of the time they're just getting cycled around them and there's no real out outlet until someone gets lucky or it results in a goal and 
it's very difficult for teams to come to terms with, you know, our most expensive player isn't that good anymore and it's holding us back, but we can't admit he's holding us back because A, that's bad for appearances and B, that would mean we're not doing our jobs right. And it's one of the more interesting things we deal with as players get older is we want to take care of this guy because he was good for us for X number of years, but at the same time, we got to worry about the team right now. Yeah, like I love Blake Wheeler so much. Yeah, He's always been a favorite of mine. I want him to retire with the Jets. I want his number to be retired. But at the same time, I think they need to shift his role on the team because he is getting old and that's okay. But he just shouldn't be on that first line anymore. And he absolutely should not be playing with other players that are horrible defensively. Yeah. I don't want to set him up for failure. I don't want people to send him death threats on Twitter because he made a mistake. Yeah. That's reason exactly, exactly. That's the thing. We just want to see players put in a position to succeed. It's something I talk about every single sport I talk about on this podcast is it doesn't matter how good someone is. If you ask them to do something they're not good at, they're probably not going to do it particularly well. The last thing I want to touch on in this part of talking about the Jets this year is, what would you say is the biggest weakness? Is it the way they play? Is it they need another player? What what stands out to you of being a difference between the team this year as opposed to, say, the team from last year or the year before that? What's the biggest weakness? Weakness? I'm going to have to say just the defense is horrible. It's (laughs) horrible. Mm -hmm. Like it's coordinated horribly. The pairings are terrible. And also a lot of them like individually are not that good. Yeah. Hey, the one thing I will say playing the devil's advocate argument for that is they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, that's not saying much considering who's not. I mean, Vancouver lost, they're a month of their season because everyone had COVID and you know, they weren't playing that well before they all had COVID the flames fell off a cliff and Ottawa's Ottawa. So yeah, while yes, it's good. The jets are going to make the playoffs and they did it kind of underhandedly. I can't even say facetiously because this was their plan. They've been doing the same thing all year, but they're going to say we made the playoffs. We weren't expecting, we might not have expected to make the playoffs coming into the season. I know a lot of people had the Jets fifth or sixth in their preseason previews. A lot of people had the Canucks ahead of them or the Flames ahead of them, and they survived. Uh, a lot of that is a benefit of playing in a weak division where, you know, the there's division three teams. It's bad. It's, there's not really much to go up against. I mean, like when the Toronto Maple Leafs are the best team in the division, I just think that maybe we need to acknowledge the fact that the division just really isn't that good. Okay. To, uh, brief aside, us stats nerds really like what the Leafs did. They have a really good roster, but the goaltending is going to hold them back and they're not going to win anything because it's Freddie Anderson and Campbell. That That's not, that's not enough to win. But The other day, the- Freddie Anderson – let our 19-year-old AHL rookie, who was supposed to be in the OHL this season, score on him. Yes. I just don't think that that's going to turn out very well for the Leafs. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the reason the Leafs haven't gone far in the playoffs at any point in the last few years is Freddie Anderson couldn't buy a save when they needed one in an important situation. It's one of the things where a team that doesn't have goaltending 
is always going to have a very, very turbulent ceiling where if someone gets hot at the right time, sure, they could do something. But I will always be skeptical of Toronto until they finally do something of note in the playoffs is where I'll put a pin in that conversation. So we briefly – oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, while we've seen Toronto win a lot of games this year, we haven't seen them play the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Carolina Hurricanes, any of, like, the really, really good teams that are in tougher divisions. Oh, no, that's definitely a part of it. And, yeah, Toronto was able to beat up on some of the lesser talented teams in the division, and they've handled business against Montreal. They've played um, Edmonton relatively well head-to-head, and they've been okay against the Jets head-to-head. And like you said, we'll see. They'll actually have to play some real teams. That won't be for a little while, though. I mean, they probably have the easiest path of any team to the Final Four because they're going to play Montreal without Gallagher, unless Gallagher can come back by the time the series starts, but that seems unlikely. And then they're going to get to play Edmonton or the Jets in round two. Uh, That's a pretty easy path as opposed to what Vegas or Colorado is going to have, where one's going to have to go through the other. And then um, Carolina is going to have to go through Tampa or vice versa. Or should Florida win? The path out of the North is definitely the, the North was the division to be in this year. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you in that the Leafs will be the last Canadian team standing but after that I can't wait to watch them get swept I mean I'm very much a part of the section of hockey Twitter that enjoys making fun of the Leafs mostly because Toronto media is insane like actually insane when it comes to the Leafs where you know the Bruins will make a trade with the Sabres how does this affect the Leafs well I'm gonna tell you it doesn't but if you want to say it does sure sure so the Toronto media and Leafs fans turned me into the Joker That's a really good way to put it. And yeah, the Leafs fans are just crazy. Absolutely insane. Oh, God. This is really the world we live in with Toronto Maple Leafs fans getting to dictate the agenda for all hockey media because they drive all of the engagement on social media. So everybody curates their content around the Leafs. It's awful. It is. You know, I'll be watching a game on like sense like on tsn3 which is like where they have like jets games and stuff nothing to do with ontario at all nothing to do with the leafs and they'll be playing edmonton or something once again nothing to do with the leafs and in the intermission even during the game all they'll talk about is the toronto maple leafs and it's absolutely infuriating like i just can't hear about the leafs anymore the leafs will always drive conversation because so much of the hockey media is based in Toronto because that's where Sportsnet and TSN have their main offices. And it's just the reality. The Leafs drive engagement, and that's basically how all these media companies pay their bills as ads. So as long as that's the main way for engagement to be driven, the Leafs are going to be driving this bus off the abyss. Yeah, and that's just really hard for me to accept. So we're going to get to be nostalgic here. I I mentioned this before. We... That 2018 Jets team was just so good. I I, I mean, you're talking Connor, Shifley, and Blake Wheeler when they were good together. Ehlers, Little, and good Line A. Like, Line A at his, probably his peak of his NHL production. You had Tanev, Lowry, Kopp, Perot, Statsny, and then you had floaters like Joel Armia. That's a pretty good team. And then the defense was just actually good. Like, Tyler Meyer. was actually good. Like, just thinking back on the fact that the Jets once had good defense and I didn't appreciate it enough. (laughs) 
And the funny thing is, a lot of those guys, since they've gone to other places, haven't played that well. Tyler Myers has been actively bad for Vancouver, and I like Jacob Truba, the person, and I liked him, the hockey player in Winnipeg, but he just hasn't been that good as a Ranger. And Toby Enstrom retires, Bufflin... I, I guess Bufflin's technically retired now. I really don't even know what's going on with him because he never retired, but now he just goes fishing, and I'm so happy for him. I hope he's happy, but I just wish that I kind of got some closure from yeah. that because he was one of my favorites. That Jets team was so good. Like like I said, they that were Jets team so good. They, they finished were so good. They finished second that year in the President's Trophy race behind Nashville. The NHL's dumb divisional playoff alignment made those two teams have to play each other in the second round as opposed to the conference finals, which it should have been. Those two teams should have been the one and the two, and they should have played in the conference final. And we didn't get to see that. That was a great series. Don't get me wrong. It's a good thing we did get to see it. We didn't get robbed of it like last year where we knew Vegas and Colorado were the two best teams in the West. And... The Stars had to mess up the party for everyone, and we didn't actually get to see them. That Nashville-Winnipeg series was amazing. One of the better playoff series of recent memory. I got to go on a deep dive and rewatch that at some point. But that Jets team was just so special. And I think that's one of the clearest cut examples of why hockey is just so dumb sometimes, where we knew those were probably the two best teams in the league. But what's the cup final? Vegas-Washington. That was so boring. (laughs) I just, I hate both of those teams and it's not, you know, usually when I dislike teams, but it's the playoffs, like I'll still watch, but that was just, I couldn't even do it. I, I really thought that that entity of that version of the Jets was the best possible version of the, we're going to win with goalie and defense first, because that team had really good underlying numbers. They controlled the puck a lot and they had defensemen who were, strong enough defensively that they just didn't give up that many scoring chances so Hellebuck's life was easier so while his numbers might not have been as gaudy in terms of goal saved above expectation and those kind of stats his life was easier when you make a good goalie's life easier that generally means your team is controlling the flow of the game and when you're controlling the flow of the game it's a lot easier for you to win when you have the puck and the other team doesn't I think that's part of the problem with the Jets this year they just don't have the puck a ton they just don't it's really hard to win hockey games if you don't have the puck on your stick it's and you know just expecting Hellebuck to stand on his head every single game and it's just because of the defense is so bad like it just looks like he's breakdancing and just like the acrobat like the acrobatics he has to do just to not let 17 goals in just because the rest of the team is so bad Unfortunately, it's time for us to talk about this looming series against Connor McDavid. I'm sorry you're going to have to do this, but... This is so painful for me. The thing I was talking about earlier was the the one thing the Oilers are really good at is moving the puck quickly. None of their guys, aside from McDavid and Dreisaitl, are that good in transition, But the defensemen know, get the puck up to the neutral zone, let the forwards run, and we'll catch up to the play at the end of it. And that's why the Jets have had such a hard time against them this year is they don't have good defensemen in transition. While I think Pionk and Morrissey are decent, they're not great in transition, and they're not going to be able to break up those plays. And like you said, McDavid's just going to skate around them, and Dreisaitl's going to skate around them. 
they're like quite like both metaphorically and literally skating circles around the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where on paper, the Jets have more talent than the Oilers. Like I'm not even oh, they exaggerating. Do. They Absolutely. have significantly like, have more talent. A lot of really good players, but they're just not used well. And it's really interesting because you look at this and the Oilers have you really trust Mike Smith and Miko Koistinen in a playoff series? And part of me is like, maybe the Jets are going to do this. Maybe Mike Smith is just going to be Mike Smith again. And the Jets are going to go to the second round. And Paul Maurice is going to save his job again. And I keep hearing that in the back of my head. And I'm trying to talk myself out of it. But at the same time, I kind of trust the Jets. And I don't trust the Oilers in this kind of situation. I mean, we saw the Oilers yeah. last year in the bubble where they played the Blackhawks, who, you know, had no business being in the playoffs. And they lost. They lost to the Blackhawks in their own arena. And <laughs> I forgot just, about that. It's hard to predict what's going to happen when the Jets play the Oilers because sometimes the Jets do surprise me in a good way. Sometimes they do. But I'm also, and this is going to sound so bad, but in a way, I kind of do hope they get absolutely swept by the Edmonton Oilers because then maybe Maurice will get fired. See, that's a pragmatic way of thinking about your team that not every fan is willing to do because some people view themselves as like an extension of the team and they never want to criticize the team, the coach, any of the players, any of that kind of thing because they identify with them. They feel like they're part of that group. And then there are hockey fans like you and I who are like, I want to win a Stanley Cup before I die. And this man is the reason we're not doing that. So the sooner we get rid of him, the sooner we can get closer to that goal. It, it's one of those things that's really hard to do as a fan to be able to detach yourself from the situation and just be like, I would just like to win. That's really all I want. It doesn't really matter to me who individually is there. I I want the Winnipeg Jets to win a Stanley Cup. I want a Stanley Cup parade. I want giant whiteout parties downtown. I want to go to a playoff game at Bell MTS Place and just hear and feel the noise of thousands and thousands of people screaming but it's not going to happen as long as Paul Maurice is on the bench and I'm it's hard to say that I want the Jets to lose miserably but I think in the long run that's going to be what's best because I cannot emotionally handle another season of this it happens I mean you have teams who you have a good run with a coach and Maurice has outlasted most coaches. Most, I think the average is four and a half seasons for a head coach before they get fired. I think he's in year eight or seven, something in that ballpark. He's been there a long time and that's a good run. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You had one really good run. You had a second run that you got to the second round, but sometimes it's just time to move on. And like you said, you're holding the team. It's holding the team back, not being able to move on. And I think that's the way I want to tie into this part where I want to talk about the Jets going forward is, do you feel like the Jets as an organization know what they need to be doing in today's day and age to win in the NHL? Because I talk to a lot of people, fans, a lot of different teams, and not everybody thinks their team has the best feeling on the pulse of what it takes to win in today's game. Do you feel like the Jets prioritize the right type of players, the right type of play, that kind of thing? Or do you kind of feel like what was working for them for so long is kind of what they're going to stick to until everybody gets fired and someone has to start over? I honestly don't think 
that the Jets know what they're doing, like the management coaches, that kind of thing. Like, I don't think they, they are, this is going to sound so mean. I don't think they're competent. I'm, you're talking to someone who thinks his head coach couldn't find his way out of a paper bag if you put it over his head. I entirely understand. Okay, I agree with that. Um, <laughs> no offense. I oh, mean, offense I, to the coach, but... yeah. I just think that something needs to change mm-hmm. and that they need to start playing the younger players. Like I want to see Billy Hainala in the lineup every night because he mm-hmm. is going to get better, but you can't learn if you never get to play. And it's not like he's in the AHL. He's just sitting there in the press box doing nothing. And we didn't even get a gif of him eating popcorn like McDavid. That, that was at least valuable. I, I could have at least gotten some, I would like to see some memes. Or yeah. something, but I just get pain. Terrible, terrible. And you In know, terms I want to of... see. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You weren't done with your thought. I want to see other top prospects playing, like Dylan Sandberg. Mm-hmm. He's with the Moose right now. Came, I think this is his first year in the AHL because he came from the University of something or other. <laughs> He's really good too. I want to see him in the NHL. Cole Perfetti mm-hmm. drafted 10th overall in 2020. I don't. I don't want them to just throw him off the deep end this year, like the playoffs or anything, because that would just be terrible. But next year, I want to see him in the lineup. But as long as Paul Maurice is on the bench, none of that is ever going to happen. It's one of those things. I and I, I entirely empathize with you. My team has very stubbornly let a head coach who doesn't value high ceiling versus low um, high floor at all either my team very much so is we'll take the guy who's not going to kill us and has no upside whatsoever but we know he's not going to kill us over the young guy who might kill us but also might make a crazy play so i definitely get where you're coming from with that sense of frustration about the lack of willingness to make mistakes especially because you know not to go to rangers here but the whole point of the season wasn't to win. No one expected them to win anything this year. So what's the harm in losing a bunch of games because you're letting kids make mistakes? They got to make mistakes at some point. And you see it. The Jets were willing to let guys make mistakes. And, you know, once Paul said, all right, that's enough out of you, that's it. Line never really got himself back out of the doghouse the second time. I mean, he went in and out more than once. And they never really gave him a chance to kind of – cement himself you saw the flashes he had the one really really good season i think i'm pretty sure yeah that was 2018 where he had the really good season where he was dominant possession wise and he scored a ton of goals an absolutely ton of goals and i feel like maurice felt like he got burned that one time by letting line mess up and he doesn't want to make the same mistake again like what you said the unwillingness to ever make a mistake is just keeping the jets stuck in the same spot they've been stuck for years now it's frustrating to say the least it's very it's hard much... to be optimistic about that yeah and that ties beautifully into one of the things that oh this type of conversation always ends up in is you know when this pandemic ends relatively soon hopefully you know you're, the teams are going to expect to sell tickets again. You know, you got to give me something. I want to buy tickets to come and see. I know you said Jets are always going to draw well because, you know, they are Winnipeg's team. But 
you know, at some point, you know, you keep running the same thing out there over and over again, people are going to stop showing up eventually. That doesn't happen overnight or in a one or two year stretch. But, you know, if it's 2024 or and Paul Maurice is still the coach and Blake Wheeler is still a captain, I think the Jets might still might have a problem drawing people to their games. I, I agree with that. And I would rather spend all that money going to watch a team like the New Jersey Devils who are letting their young players do their thing instead of just watching the Blake Wheeler show. Okay, that brings up an interesting point there. What are Jets tickets like cost-wise? Because I have no earthly idea. I mean, the nosebleeds, I think, are probably, you know, after taxes and stuff, like $100. 100 Canadian? Yeah. Sorry, it's like 65, I don't know. 65, 70. It's like 65, 75 American. I mean, that's a lot cheaper than what we get in the tri-state area. No, because you said I'd rather go spend money to see the devil. And I was like, I see the devils play for $13 on a weeknight sometimes. It's very nice. And like you said, they're an exciting team. They're not particularly good, but, you know, going to see Jack Hughes play in person, but, you know, before the pandemic was very fun. You yeah, know, like I want to Dr- see guys like Jack Hughes or Ty Smith. I don't want to see old men. <laughs> But hey, you got an internet heart sob in Pierre-Luc Dubois. I mean, that's true. He's fun. But, you know, the internet again, has like, a lot of fun with him. The internet does have a lot of fun with him. And I appreciate, like, the new wave of Winnipeg Jets enjoyers that was created when PLD got traded. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's one of those things where you kind of see the undercurrent of everybody who's a recovering One Direction slash K-pop person is, oh, the pretty hockey man got traded. Okay, we have to follow what he's doing now and we got to see what happens with him. And you get into the underlying storylines and why people care about this kind of stuff. And it's very fun. I mean, you and I have been here about 40 minutes now being like, this is miserable, but God, I can't wait for the playoffs. God, I can't wait for the playoffs. It, it, it's kind of like a sickness at some point where it's like, I'm really going to keep doing this every year for the rest of my life. I'm going to watch hockey in hopes my team gets to lift the shiny trophy. And maybe they never will, but I know that I'm never <laughs> going to be able to stop watching. Exactly, exactly. But I don't want to die without seeing the Jets win a Stanley Cup. Like, I don't want to die without that. Exactly, exactly. Hey, you'll keep getting Canada World Junior medals and gold medals in the Olympics. That's you'll true. get those. You'll get those at That's least. true. But, you know, with guys like Connor Bedard and Shane Wright being, like, on the center stage is great for me because they'll probably be on the World Juniors team next year, and I have tickets to that. Yes, I did see. You were flexing on the rest of us plebs, yeah. Absolutely. That's the only time I've ever had good tickets to anything. <laughs> That's a good. I've always wanted to do a World Juniors. I want to wait for it to cycle back around to Toronto again because when it's in Toronto, it's a lot of fun because Toronto is just a great city to hang out in. And the World Juniors is fun because you get to see multiple games in the same day, that kind of thing. And hopefully, we get a Winter Olympics somewhere in North America again in the not so distant future because. When the Olympics are right and everybody goes, you get those special moments like the 2010 Canada USA game. Like that entire game is on YouTube and quarantine 1.0. I watched that game at least three separate times, full well knowing that I was going to be sad by the end of it anyway. Yeah, that's a fun one for me because, you know, I'm Canadian (laughs) and, you know, just everyone, even people who don't care about hockey in this country know about Sidney Crosby's golden goal. 
Did they put that? Did they put that on money yet? I feel like that'd be something Canada would do. They would put Sid in the corner on like a dollar coin or a bill somewhere. Oh, we have a lot of quarters with athletes on them. I would not be surprised if Sidney Crosby was one of them. Uh, it's gonna be very interesting when Sid gets coerced into you know being on TV with no interest in being in TV. But you know Rogers or TSN is like, here's twenty million dollars to do a hit from your house once a week for Hockey Night in Canada. You're gonna want to do it, Sid. Um, last, oh yeah, of course, we're here mostly to talk about the Jets, but I would be remiss if I had you on and we did not talk about Jamie Drysdale for a minute. (laughs) Oh yeah. You have um, to explain this. Okay. So basically, 2020 World Junior Championship. Yeah. I knew who he was. I thought he was cool. Like, yeah, whatever. I didn't really care that much. And then... (laughs) This past year, 2021 World Juniors, my brother was like, who's Jamie Drysdale? And I was like, oh, yeah, he, um, he, he plays for Team Canada. Like, he's younger than the rest of them, like, whatever. And so I looked him up, and something just clicked in my brain. And I don't even know how to explain it. Like, I just – I didn't choose him. He chose me. See, it's interesting because – I've had that moment before where it's like I've seen a guy get drafted and I'm like, all right, I'm keeping tabs on this guy. This guy's going to be one of my guys. I'm putting my flag like this is one of my guys. Like when people ask me, who's one of your favorite hockey players? And, you know, usually I've I've been relatively good with that. Occasionally I've hit a dud here and there where it's like, yeah, Marion Gar- oh, Marion Garrick's not good anymore. Um, and you end up with I mean, I was early. I mean, I thought McDavid was going to be good, good in 2015 when I got I didn't think he was going to be like, you know, Wayne Gretzky good. Like the day after he got drafted, I took two hundred dollars in singles and I went to my mom and I was like, All right, I want to buy a Connor McDavid jersey. Here's two hundred dollars in singles. And I have a I've had a Connor McDavid jersey since the day after he got drafted. It doesn't have the C on it. It's in very bad shape because it's seven years old now. But you stake your flag in a guy, and that's part of the fun too, is like even if this guy's not on my team, I get to enjoy another team now because of him, and I get to commit more of my personality to other things. And, you know, you're invested in the Ducks now for some reason. I'm invested in the Ducks now, and that's so humiliating. Like my um my biology teacher is a huge hockey fan too. He's a Colorado Avalanche fan in Winnipeg, which is something I still can't understand. And he saw me wearing my duck shirt on Zoom today, and he's like, "Why are you wearing a duck shirt?" And it's just it's an embarrassing thing that I'm I'm a Ducks fan now. <laughs> I want to let, like I said, we said earlier. I you stake flags and guys like. I I was very high on Trevor Zegers and they drafted him, and we're going to wait and see. The Ducks have so many guys. Eventually, some of them got to put it together, right? Right? I have an extremely complicated relationship with Trevor Zegers. I mean, by all means, the floor is yours. He committed several hate crimes towards me in okay. January. Like, he hate-crimed me and my heart. (laughs) You're going to have to elaborate elaborate a little bit more. Like, in the World Juniors gold medal game, like, that absolutely destroyed me. And it still hurts to this day, and I don't think I'm ever going to get over it. 
Team USA playing Team Canada in a World Junior Gold Medal game always gets the the best and the worst out of people because things kind of turn into a war zone on the hockey internet for a solid three weeks. And you I know. had to delete Twitter for forty eight hours <laughs> because I'm such a sore loser. Hey, I understand. That's one of the bastions of Canadian civic pride. Is you know we win the gold medal in every hockey tournament, and if we don't, we're gonna have a very serious problem here, Mister Hockey Commissioner. That's not okay. It's, I just get so passionate about these international tournaments. And when my team doesn't win, I, I'm angry about it for the rest of my life. With good reason, though. Like, that's your guys' thing. Like, you know, when America lost in basketball in the Olympics, you know, that was like the end of the world when America didn't win the gold medal in the Olympics. And, you know, hockey is in the pantheon of, like, Canada invented hockey. So we take pride in being the best at it. It's the same kind of thing. So... Even though it's hockey, you know, it's not unique. I'm sure, you know, when England doesn't do well in the World Cup in soccer, they get a little upset about it, too. So it's not just you who gets so... Even South Korea has a national hockey team. So it's not like exclusively a Canadian thing, but it does kind of feel like our thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I I'm glad I thought about that and I was like, you know what? I don't have anyone to talk about the Jet Shack for the playoffs. You know what? She bumped my tweet. Let's see if she wants to come and talk. Uh, I, the twenty eighteen Jets. Well, I'll never pass up an invitation to talk about hockey for an entire hour. It was a good hour. We had fun. We covered all the bases. I felt a little therapeutic in there at one point. I kind of felt like I should have been taking notes. You might have been reclined back and talking about how that makes you feel and that kind of thing. I felt like this helped. <laughs> I felt like this helped, and you know, I just have so much anger towards Paul Maurice, I have to get it out. Paul Maurice has got a lot of haters out there. I, I don't know how he's endured this long. But, like, rightfully so. Yeah. If you just, yeah. he's insufferable. And I, I don't want to be mean, because I'm not a mean person, but when it comes to Paul Maurice, it's just, like, steam coming out of my ears. But being mean to professionals is fun, you know, like you're a professional hockey coach. You're supposed to be good at this. Your title is professional hockey coach. Anybody could do what you're doing, you know, anybody could listen to what the captain of the team says to do and put that as the lineup. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that. I definitely feel your frustration is very well warranted. And that's part of the reason I started doing this podcast is, you know, People don't get enough of a platform to complain about their team in a formal setting. That isn't just, you know, the replies of the team's Twitter handle and a beat reporter's replies after they tweet something. Like, you know, if the Jets are losing five to one and you go in the replies of Winnipeg Jets, it's just L, 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 hold this L. Or if it's a beat reporter, it's the same thing. And part of the story of why sports are so important in the cultural impact is, you know, we care about this shit this much, you know. Yeah, that's and what I'm, I wanted I'm to not do. A, this. I'm not a professional. I'm, I'm professional, yeah. but I just like to yell about the Winnipeg Jets, basically. Hey, Paul Maurice has got to start listening to people out there, man. Take try some new shit. It's not working. I fully Be believe that I could do his job better than he can. And that's the entire foundation of this podcast. Anybody with some common sense might just be able to do it better than a professional coach or GM. I want to thank Cecilia for stopping by. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to be talking to Hunter Hodes about the Pittsburgh Penguins and their prospective first-round matchup with the New York Islanders. 
Then on Friday, we're going to be talking about the Islanders against the Penguins from the Islanders' perspective with my boss from Gotham, Ethan Levy. There's so much going on. It's a great time to be a hockey fan. I'll see you guys tomorrow.